Welcome to the Shepherd's Crick Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our king, Jesus. Hello and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day today. I am and want to let you know on the front end here that Ransom's going to be practicing for about five more minutes on piano right outside of my office door. So you're going to hear some piano playing here in just a little bit. And I think you'll be able to hear that right now. So there we go. O come, O come, Emmanuel. He's practicing for our church recital that's going to be coming up here in, uh, I think, two weeks or so. So he's going to be doing that. Okay, today I'm going to be talking about why I love Doug Wilson, and then I'm also going to be talking about what I disagree with him about. And what, just I want to give a fair critique and a, uh, a real critique, not a made-up critique of I don't like the words he says or something like that. And I, I want to give a specific example of what I disagree with him about. And it's really, after years and years of reading Doug, this is really my main disagreement. Doug always thinks in federalism. He's always think, thinking in covenant. And the differences then that I have with covenant theology in him, it, it comes to bear and specifically in, in regards to some of the things that he's best about with, with family. And we're going to look at covenant succession and as he describes it. And, and then I'm going to talk about covenant faithfulness and uh, the differences that I have in my understanding and I think the biblical understanding of what, uh, what covenant faithfulness is and means in the new covenant. And it has relation to when the new covenant is established or the covenant of grace is established. We're not going to get into that as much, but I'm going to get receipts here. We're going to go right to the books. For people of our church who wonder, I, we as an elder team love Doug Wilson. We recommend Canon Plus and encourage the resources from uh, What Have You podcast to the books that are written from Canon Press. We love Canon Press. And, and have so many people in our church that love Canon Plus. But what are the primary differences? Or what are the primary disagreements? That's what I want to show you today. Specifically looking at Covenant Household book that I really enjoy and would recommend with some caveats here. And then to you and your children, examining the biblical doctrine of covenant succession, which was published by Canon Press. But uh, Doug did not write, but I'm he is a contributor. And because he's also a contributor, I think we could say that he agrees with some of the definitions in this. Uh, he would agree with some of the de definitions in this. And so I'm going to be appealing to that as well. Let me go ahead and pray, ask for the Lord's help. And if I'm critiquing somebody like Doug, then I need the Lord's help. And he's a brother, and I think he'll receive it as such. And if he even hears or reads this, he's been so kind to me to be able to come on the show. And I've talked to him so many times. He's been, you know, he's just been very kind. And so I, I do appreciate him, but uh, he's a grown man. We people have differences. That's big whoop. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask for blessing upon this. And for those that are listening from our church and uh, beyond, I pray that they would be able to, to identify, okay, here is something that I, I can, I do actually disagree with, with Doug Wilson. And with all of our heroes, there are going to be things that we don't fully agree with. And uh, and that's okay. And help us to know those, not to just come up with, uh, I don't like the tone or the tenor. I don't like the words that may or may not been said that kind of thing, but actual disagreements. And that's what I want to help our people with. And uh, uh, I want to think more biblically and as biblically as I as possibly can, which I've, I've really learned from him in so many ways. And I just trust that you're going to help. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So why I love Doug, if you have been listening to me for a while, you know that I do appreciate him and I do appreciate the Moscow mood and everything that's going on out there with small exceptions. I, I did do a, a minor critique a few weeks ago talking about how 
Presbyterians can do better and Baptists can do better in theological changes and shifts. And it does seem like Moscow is willing to engage in conversations with Baptist pastors behind closed doors about covenant theology rather than encouraging those pastors to work that out with their elders and congregations uh, because that's where the immediate impact is. is. And uh, so I have talked a little bit before about some things that just kind of are, are a little bit off-putting, but, you know, not not a huge deal. But let me just say on the front end uh, why I just love Doug Wilson so much. And, and if you've not got really listened to him, I would encourage you to start listening, to start reading. I love his theological clarity and precision. Now, for those that are, are Scott Clark fanboys or somebody like that or out in the internet world that have jumped on the Doug derangement syndrome, that you might scoff at this, but you're scoffing at this because you're not reading Doug. <laughs> he is so precise in the doctrine of justification. He is so clear in his application of God's word in all of life, which is the second reason that I just really appreciate him is his his uh, puritanical Kuyperianism. This is God's word is authoritative everywhere, and he sees the implications of the principles and uh, the Proverbs and the explicit commands or the implicit commands in Scripture and how they apply in all of life everywhere. And so when he's writing, that just, you know, Spurgeon said about uh, Bunyan as he's writing an allegory that Bunyan bleeds Bibline. And that's the same thing that I get when I read Doug Wilson. He bleeds Bibline and his allusions, his allegories, his stories, his comedy, all of it, his satire, all of it is connected to the scriptures. And then when he gives an articulated reason why he does something, it's it's thoroughly biblical. And I appreciate that. I, I love that he's joyfully reformed that Chestertonian Calvinism that they talk about out there. I, I love that. I love that there's a jolliness and a joy that comes out of that city. They, they're having fun in life. And that's what you see when you peer in. And that's what so many people are missing in Christianity is, hey, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to have joy. In fact, that is, you know, in a, in a, in a culture, a Christian culture that, that celebrates lament more than joy, we have to capture the biblical vision, which is Christian life is marked by joy with seasons of lament, not marked by lament with seasons of joy. And we've got to recapture that as Christians, that we live a joyful life. It is a fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. That, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is is joy. Uh, I love his writing. That's another reason I love him. His writing style is just phenomenal. He's just a really, really good writer. And combine that, combine that with his fearlessness because he's not ashamed of what the Word of God has to say. Therefore, when you're confident in, in who God is, his sovereignty and your place in this world, you're able to speak with clarity to people that don't like you and hate what you have to say without flinching, without... And you, when you read uh, the Free Speech Apocalypse, or watch the Free Speech Apocalypse, not read it, when you watch it, you see a room full of people that absolutely hate him. Hey, come on in. What's up? Hey. Okay. Well, hey, I'm recording right now. Is, uh, is this important? You, I just wanted to tell you, I just want to finish piano, so I won't be in trouble anymore. You won't be in trouble anymore? What do you mean? No, I won't be, I won't be a distraction. Anymore. Okay, got it. Thanks. Love you. Love you that hat looks cool. Okay, shut that hey. door for me. So, when you watch that movie, what you see is somebody that's fearless. He's standing up there with the truth, and when you have the truth, and you know that you're on the right side of truth, and the right side of, of God, then you're you're free. There's just freedom there. So I appreciate that. Uh, and he's uh, also just willing to talk. I, I've, I've been very just, he, I think I can't even count how many interviews now I've done with him for the Shepherd's Crook and then also with the Sons and Slaves podcast and Majesty's Men podcast. I think I've talked with Doug six or seven times at this point, maybe. Um, and always willing to do that. And I don't know if he knows, but my audience isn't that large, but he's been always willing to talk and engage in conversation with me. And so I, I love that. And then I love all that, that comes out from their post-millennial eschatology. Post-millennialism has been so great, but also just the work ethic that flows from post-millennial patriarchy. And that is evident in things like Canon Plus. It's evident in uh, Nate's 
work. It's evident in all the material and the work that they're just all workhorses out there. And the expectation through rigorous study and rigorous work is that rigorous study that they grow up with, that rigorous education they grow up with, it demonstrates itself then in a life of working hard and and all to the glory of God. And, and I love that. So there's a massive impact. I really appreciate that. Okay, so there we go. I, no, I didn't do that to, to fluff people. I'm, I'm really wanting to say if you have been a Doug Wilson uh, hater in the past, you shouldn't be, and you should go and, and actually read what he has to say, listen to what he has to say, and stop listening to all the naysayers out there because there's so much that's good and so much that's life-giving. And honestly, from all the living people in this world uh, that have been uh, made the most impact on my life and ministry at this point, it, it, would, it would be him and uh, those that are around him. So I, I'm tremendously thankful. So go don't listen to those that are that have that derangement syndrome thing. Okay, but, but what about disagreements? What are the real disagreements that I would have with Doug Wilson? And for our church, when you're thinking through this, because when we're watching Canon Plus or thinking about uh, families and all the good work that's coming out from them, uh, and even uh, the uh, Nancy's podcast and all the counsel and wisdom that comes from Rachel's books on parenting and all the great things from future men, and, and I know they're working on future women behind the scenes, and the just the all that content about the household is so wonderful and Baptists are like please thank you because we have a such an underdeveloped understanding of of the household and how God has designed the household and uh, here are these Presbyterians over here actually saying, okay, here's here's uh, the, the consequences of federalism and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes we're, we're left wondering, okay, what are the disagreements? What, what are the disagreements here? We know it's infant baptism, but what else? Like, what, what else are the, the, the disagreements here? And, and I, would, I will just go ahead and say, I, I trace these disagreements fundamentally to not necessarily the definition that Doug gives of covenant, but where the placement of the covenant of grace is, because those implications, whether it's established in Christ or established in Abraham, or even from the garden, you know, some, some people in Doug's circles reject a covenant of works and uh, explicitly reject a covenant of works, and uh, Doug does not. But um, you, if you identify the covenant of grace being established to Abraham, then you have uh, th- th- this definition makes a whole lot of sense. But also, what Doug t- talks about here in just a minute, and these quotes are going to make a whole lot of sense. So, what I want to look at is, like I said, covenant household and to you and your children. And I, I, I've got the receipts right here, but I want to first with start with a definition of covenant that Doug himself gives, so we know what we're talking about here. And we find this in chapter one of covenant household, okay? A covenant is a solemn bond, sovereignly administered with attendant blessings and cursings. Now, if you've been reading him for a while, you know that this is not a new definition. He's been working on this definition for years and years, decades at this point. Uh, and so this definition is familiar, or you're familiar with it, that definition if uh, you... Uh, if you've been reading him for a while. And so what I want to specifically talk about is the attendant blessings and cursings, because that, along with this idea of covenant succession, that your children are promised to you, the the children of believers are promised to you, gets down to some of the disagreements of, of, of Baptists and Presbyterians. But also, I think that there is the intramural debate that people have within Presbyterianism that that finds its epicenter in these sorts of conversations. But for all of the Baptists in, in our church, for instance, when I've said that you should expect your children to become a believer, that that should be an expectation that we're going to expect, I mean that. I don't believe that that's a promise. Andy and I have been working on this and, and working through this. It's not, a, it's not a promise that your children will be believers. But the fact that God sovereignly has put those children in your home and in the context of people that are in the household of God who have shown themselves to be the true family of Jesus, not just by blood, not by birth, but because they have done the will of their heavenly father by the grace of God, repenting of their sins, trusting in Christ, they become a part of the household of God. Our children, the children of believers, then are sovereignly put in a household that's 
that where the rule of law is God's law. They are raising those children in the, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and expecting that God will do his work as the law is being uh, laid upon those children. The Holy Spirit begins to work and they're hearing the gospel all the time because they're in the context of a gospel preaching church. Their friends are Christians. They're, they're, they're educated in a Christian with a Christian education. The gospel of Jesus is everywhere. And what would you expect? of a person that is always in the, in the, like a non-believer, for instance, what would you expect from just a non-believer who started always, who was always around Christian education, Christian teaching, always at church on Sunday in, in every small group and at, in their homes, for some reason, they started thinking about the things of God or, or reading them. You would expect somebody that's always around the gospel of Jesus, the law of God and the gospel of God, you would expect them to become a Christian because you trust in the power of the gospel. And for the Baptist, we don't have to buy into the covenant succession of your children uh, or believing that, that as Jared Longshore says, that when a child is conceived, the church grows. That's not how the church grows. The church grows because I think that, that there is a, a one-to-one, the, the, the church and the elect. That's what we're trying to identify through repentance and faith and a public confession. That's why, you know, again, if you don't know the conversation, that's what differentiates Baptists and Presbyterians. But we can expect all of our children, and I'm going to expect all of my grandchildren and all of my great-grandchildren, that's my expectation, is that as we raise them the way God would have us raise them, with the our, our faults, we're going to make some mistakes. We're going to trust, though, that they're set, so saturated with the law of God and the gospel of God that the gospel is going to take root and God is going to do a work and the Holy Spirit is going to come and bring fire and they are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. I mean, they're going to be set ablaze for the glory of God and on fire for Jesus, loving Him, and then raising their children as God would have them raise their children. But that's it. That the, the word expectation and promise is different. Okay, We are expecting our children. And then when we talk about covenant succession and then blessings and cursings based on faithfulness or unfaithfulness to the covenant, this is the primary disagreement I have with Doug Wilson. When we talk about attendant blessings and cursings, we get into things like in chapter, the chapter here of what to expect or a sketch of godly parents. Okay, And I'm going to go and read this, then we'll get into to you and your children here in just a minute. But I want to read a couple of these uh, excerpts from here. Listen to this. God keeps his promises to those who keep his covenant. Okay? Not just to those who are in the covenant. That statement. God keeps his promises to those who keep covenant. What about this? Now, not everyone who is in the covenant keeps the covenant with God. Not everyone who places their children in the covenant by baptism keeps the covenant. So that's the Presbyterianism. Okay? Now, let's just go and continue to read a few excerpts here, okay? It may seem crazy to think that we have this kind of quiet confidence. This is about our children being promised to us, but it's our duty to believe this. That is, that is, This is just the way it is. This is not presumption, though some might call it that. Now, it, meaning it's not presumption that your children uh, are promised to be Christians, but it actually is presumption to say that our children are promised. And this, this comes back to an understanding of this promises for you and for your children from Acts chapter 2. But the text uh, gives conditions, and to those who are far off, all to those whom God will call to himself. So to your children, God will call to yourself. So Jew, to your children, that God calls to himself, to all who are far off, that God calls to himself. Or we can just say that uh, we're universalist here, that uh, the same promise that, they, that the Presbyterians latch on to about to you and your children, that same promise needs to apply to all who are far off, and then say that all, to are, all who are far off are also promised to be Christians as well, and all who are far off are also and should be baptized into and a part of the covenant people of God also. But the conditioning statement is all to whom God will call to himself. So that, that's, that's the, the condition. Is, is God's work there. So that, again, that's some of the differences there. So here's what it says. God has, this comes from uh, page 118 in the covenant household. God has promised them, promised your children. 
We cannot see our great-grandchildren, but we can trust God for them, and we can love our children for their sake. And I agree with all that, okay? But here's what I wrote in a note. If they are promised, why are there so many Christians with unbelieving children? That's the question we got to get to. Why? Why are there so many children of believers that are unbelieving? Now, to me, this reeks of some of the same error, and I said reeks of some of the same error that I've seen in charismatic churches my entire life. I grew up in charismatic churches, went to Pentecostal college, and I heard things about the promises of God that went unmet all the time. And so this is the connection. Hold on, I heard something upstairs. I'm officing from downstairs today. We've been hit with sickness again, and so here I am on a a Monday. Okay, I think think we're good. I heard somebody crying out there. Okay, so for instance, let's just say healing. Charismatics, will say that healing is promised in the atonement. By his his stripes you were healed, and that Jesus died for their sicknesses and infirmities for this life, not just for a resurrected body, but what charismatics do is they take this, they have this this over-realized eschatology, and they take what's promised in the future, and they bring it to right now, and they say, every Christian is promised healing in this lifetime, physical healing. This is the, and if you've not been around charismatic churches, uh, you just, I mean, this is exactly, this is what they teach, that, that it's, that a part of the atonement is not just forgiveness of sins, but it's healing of your physical bodies, okay? And there's so many, like, problems with that, like, from wearing glasses to headaches that every Christian has, and you're left with, okay, then why are Christians ever sick? If healing's a part of the atonement, and that's promised, then why should Christians ever get sick to begin with? If Jesus really died for our sicknesses and our diseases and bore them on our body for, for now, then why, I mean, glorification is certain, for sure, where our bodies will not be sick, we won't grow old, we won't die, we've got this new, we'll take up the bodies of jars of clay, we'll go and we'll get what's what's imperishable. That, that's that's a resurrected body. But what charismatics do is they say that Jesus promises healing now because Jesus died for our physical bodies, he died for sicknesses and he took that on, so therefore we should never get sick. Well, here's the problem. Well, when we inevitably get sick and how do you die, then what do you say? Well, why is what's promised not being actually realized now because lack of faith or become some factor that I can't understand or I don't know. But if something's promised and not God, well, that means it's on me because God wanted to give it. He wanted to do it, but I didn't apprehend it. I didn't acclimate it. I didn't get into it and, and make it mine or something. And But then that the problem is, uh, if God promised it, then why not? Why isn't it done? Are the prom- like if, if God promised this is actually a part of the atonement, then why doesn't it get done? Why isn't it, whether you have faith or not, it's just a fixed thing? Because if you're a Christian, if you have your sins forgiven, your sins are forgiven, all of them. It's, this, the, God meets these conditions for us. Okay, So this gets into then their answer from uh, to you and your children. Okay, this is a, a collected work. It's a it's a uh, examining the biblical doctrine of covenant succession, and I just want to read a few of these quotes here. Okay, the clear implication of covenant succession is that if a child of Christian parents rejects the faith, here we go. Listen to this: there has been a failure of covenant nurture on the part of the parents as well as the church, particularly its leaders. If a child of a believer does not is not born again, if they reject the faith, the fault. Because God has promised them the fault is with the parents of the church. Okay? That is significant. That is very significant. How about this? Instead, covenant succession merely applies the biblical teaching that our conduct as parents has real consequences and instrumental according to the covenant of promise. Now, this 
I could go on with more quotes, but the idea of, and this is the, the definition here, the, uh, the doctrine of covenant succession presents a scriptural teaching that the children of believers, and this is, they say, expected, but later they say promised, okay? This is different. Expected to succeed in the faith of their parents. I don't have a problem of expected, but I do have a problem when we say promised, and that is laced throughout this book, not just, and uh, the definition says expects, but they talk about promise through this book, and so does Doug and Covenant Household. Now, this is the, uh, this is the real rub here, Okay. We talk about blessings and cursings and being faithful or unfaithful to the covenant. What are we talking about here? Because Doug does this, make this distinction, and he does say that Jesus was faithful on our behalf. He gets justification right. He's not saying that, that we are justified based on our faithfulness or unfaithfulness to the covenant. So Doug does make these distinctions, but I don't think it's clear enough. And I don't think, for the, the average person listening in, that you understand the reality, and this is why the covenant of grace is so glorious, is that Jesus was faithful to the covenant on our behalf. Now, I think most of them, I think Doug would say, yes, amen. But that has implications. Take your purit take your puritanical Kyperianism and press that down into the life and the application of counsel of Christians. Are you really going to sit across from a Christian, like, for instance, Cotton Mather, who wrote on the Christian family, whose sons abandoned the faith and were just his one son, one surviving son abandoned the faith uh, and say, Cotton, this is because you were not faithful to the covenant. Your covenant nurture of your children was off, and the reason that the promises that your children had that God had given you, the conditions were you and how you parented your children. Talk about a burden that I can't carry or I can't lift. I, I mean, this certainly we want to be faithful in parenting, and this is one of the reasons I've loved Doug and Nancy and everybody out there so much is because you, we can be better parents. We can grow in parenting. But the burden of saying that every single one of your children is promised, and if they aren't, it's because you were unfaithful in your covenant nurture. And I can't, that, that's a primary disagreement. That is, the blessings of God are secured in Christ for us because of Christ's faithful obedience to the covenant. He was the covenant keeper and the covenant giver became the covenant keeper and he did it all on our behalf. Therefore, there is this fixed nature of justification, this fixed nature of the favor of God, this fixed nature of the blessing of, of God upon us. And certainly, there are blessings Never cursings. There are never cursings to the Christian. We, we cannot be cursed. Jesus became the curse for us. But in this understanding of covenant, when you locate, when the locale of the covenant establishment is in Abraham, then you're, you're still, you're left with a Christian who can be cursed from God because of disobedience. Whereas the great and the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus became a curse for us. We cannot be cursed. There are natural implications then in proverb wisdom and when uh, there, we reap what we sow, there are consequences and there certainly are blessings, but that, that we have in Christ Jesus, in, in the life that we have and that we walk with the Lord, but there are never curses. Therefore, the consequences that we experience, these are the sovereign, providential, parental disciplines of the Lord that come our way, but never cursings. And when it comes to our children, you can be a really godly parent. You can do things. Can you do things better? Of course you could do things better. But if you have an unbelieving child, continue to pray that God would save them. But do not have the burden. Jesus, Jesus bore the burden for your sins, all of them, even your parenting failures. And you have the blessing of God upon you in spite of, in spite of your failure in your parenting. And we can do better. We can grow in that. Certainly, we want to do the best we possibly can. But also, as far as... Uh, but parents that have all believing children, don't think that that's because of your covenant faithfulness. It's not. It's not because of your covenant faithfulness. It's because of the faithfulness of God. It's because of God's mercy. It's because of his grace. It's because he put them in this family and, and called them to himself. This, this is the glory of God's saving grace. 
his sovereign grace. This is the glory of that. And so the primary disagreement then would be my understanding of covenant, how it's demonstrated in parenting or in talking about covenant faithfulness and blessings and cursings. That's where I disagree with Doug Wilson. I think he's wrong in that. And I think that it comes from his federalism and the locale of when the covenant of grace is established. Um, so if, you be, if you're reading this and are part of our church, uh, beware of that and a couple other things in this book, but oh, I'm still recommending it, okay? It's still phenomenal in so many ways. Uh, but do not have that burden upon you. The, the blessings of God are fixed and upon you because of the faithfulness of Jesus. That's so awesome. Okay, guys, hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening, and uh, hey, keep coming back. I, I, I really appreciate you doing that and, and being back again to listen to another episode. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes, and if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me, and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.